Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the podcast you haven't heard of, a new feature of Edina Zephyrus. The focus of this podcast will be culture and the arts, both local and national. I'm Thomas Mathis. And I'm Mike Osler. And I'm Eric Runberg. In each episode, we'll talk about some of the cultural happenings around the Twin Cities, interview an artist from the area, and cap off the episode with a review. This week, we're talking to Craig Manoa, the lead singer of Cloud Cult, and reviewing the latest from Coldplay, Milo Zelodo. For more on that later, here's Thomas with some news. All right, it's time to tell you what's going to be happening in Minneapolis over the next few weeks. Dawes will be performing with Blitz and Trapper at First Avenue Friday the 4th. The show is 18+, plus and unfortunately is sold out. Edina High School will be performing Town this Friday and Saturday at 7.30, with a matinee at 1.30 on, sun- on Saturday. The Minneapolis Indie Expo and Indie Comic Convention will be taking place this Sunday, November 6th, at the Soap Factory. This weekend, you can catch Much Ado About Nothing at the Guthrie, as well as the final weekend of Burial at Thebes. Monday the 7th, the Wombats are playing at the Varsity Theater. Tuesday the 8th, with The Wizard of Oz, starring our very own Maeve Moynihan, is starting its run at the Children's Theater. Wednesday the 9th, Lucinda Williams plays at First Ave, and The Edge of Our Bodies starts at the Guthrie. And Saturday the the 12th, the Toon Yards are playing at First Avenue. Friday the 4th, the show is 18+, plus and is unfortunately sold out. Uh, Edina High School will be performing Town this Friday at 7.30 with a matinee on 1.30 on Saturday. The Minneapolis Indie Expo and Indie Comic Convention will be taking place this Sunday, November 6th at the Soap Factory. This weekend you can catch Much Ado About Nothing at the Guthrie, as well as the final weekend of Burial at Thebes. Monday the 7th, the Wombats are playing at, var- at the Varsity Theater. Tuesday the 8th, The Wizard of Oz, starring our very own Maeve Moynihan, is starting its run at the Children's Theater. Wednesday the 9th, Lucinda Williams plays at First Ave, and The Edge of Our, Body, uh, of Our Bodies starts at the Guthrie. And Saturday the 12th, the Toon Yards are playing at First Avenue. Today, we're talking to Craig Manoa, the lead singer of Cloud Cult. The band was formed in 1994 as an expansion of Craig Manoa's solo work. The band has released 10 albums, the latest of which, Light Chasers, was, was released last year. This is a track from it, Running with the Wolves. <laughs> Oh 
dark cubicles and little flaming piles And we were running for a reason I need to feel something different for just a little Craig Manoa, the lead singer of Cloud Cults. Hi, Craig. Hi, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. How are you? Um, so, uh, Craig, uh, we're all, actually, we're all, we're all huge fans of the band. Yep. Um, so I was wondering, like, how your you know, interest in music sort of developed over uh, high school and college and how that's influenced you and your music now. Uh, in high school, I, I played in orchestra. Um, uh, I actually started off with piano. My mom was a piano player, and um, started off with piano lessons. But in high school, I guess I used piano more as a writing tool, doing lessons, and and uh, focused more on the the uh, actual music training through the orchestra. And um, I don't know. I guess high school is that period in your life where you start to feel odd. <laughs> you start to recognize that, you know, you got a lot of uh, emotions inside that you don't know, really necessarily know how to communicate in a in a verbal way, and you start really trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into this world. And for me, me having that music tool there with me was was uh, the best tool for figuring out myself and trying to get out emotions that I couldn't necessarily, you know, put into words and. Um, so yeah, I was I was really introspective and I was a really kind of a shy high school kid, and um, so I was pretty reclusive and spent a lot of time hanging out in my bedroom and playing guitar and plunking away on my piano, my parents' piano, and just trying to uh, sculpt a reality that I could deal with, I guess. And music was that was that tool that kind of kind of uh, made me feel like I I could. Uh, um, connect with the world in a better way and also it was really interesting because I was spiritually exploring a lot and and uh, music it pretty much immediately for me was something that I felt connected me to something bigger I just really couldn't understand it but if I was writing or or um, 
you know, uh, just messing around on the piano, a lot of times I'd just hit the state of mind that was a state of mind that I wouldn't normally hit in everyday kind of life. And that gets to be pretty addictive because, um, I don't know, you're connected to something that's not, that's not that, like, ego brain, you know, who am I and what am I, but all of a sudden you're something a lot bigger. Now, kind of branched off in college, too. I uh, uh, went to college, initially went to uh, college for music theory, and I wanted to wanted to go to school to score music for um, movies and, and things like that, and I played in the band at the same time, same band that I played with in, in high school, and uh, really felt like I didn't like playing live, was really uncomfortable playing live, because again, I was really shy, so getting up on stage was really not a natural kind of thing for me, and uh so I just spent a lot of time um, skipping class and <laughs> sitting in my apartment writing songs. And I, I remember going to the, the bus. I'd wait for the bus there on Franklin or wherever I was living at the time. And um, before the bus would get there, all of a sudden there would be an idea, and I'd go running back to my apartment, and I'd, the whole day would be gone all of a sudden because I'd be sitting there recording and working on it. And I ended up, ended up spending a lot of time doing that. But, uh, um, yeah, so that was the natural evolution of it. And through high school and college, at least. All right, cool. Um, so we were wondering, uh, Cloud Cult has like a really unique sound that you don't really hear a lot from um, a lot of other bands. And we were wondering, how would you categorize um, the music? How would, like, what kind of genre would, would you say it is? Uh, it's kind of t- tough. It's that's always a r- really, really tough question that we get because. Um, even within the albums themselves, there's kind of a, a real mix of, of genres. And, and then since the albums go back now for 15 years, even you go back to the earlier albums and they sound a lot different from the, the recent albums. So albums like They Live on the Sun and Aurora Borealis really um, seem to fall in the college indie rock area. And we got a lot of college uh, radio play. And um, albums like Light Chasers, tend to get categorized as orchestral rock because there's a lot more orchestration going on. And, um, but, you know, I mean, there's stuff in there that's really folky and there's stuff in there that's really um, electronic. Uh, yeah, it's kind of all over the board. I don't want to get pigeonholed too much or um, pinned down to one specific genre because I really like the diversity of all different kinds of music. And my favorite thing to do is write music. And any, any given day that I come in the studio here, uh, I want to be able to write what I'm feeling on that day and sometimes sometimes getting really gritty and getting as much distortion as possible is what I need to do and some some days I just really want to have lots of orchestral instruments and layer it and try and make something really beautiful that way okay so sorry that's <laughs> <laughs> all over the board it's probably a bad answer no well, that's, no, that's <laughs> that was a great answer great, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much well Thanks. so why did you decide to start your own record label Earthology instead of just signing to an existing indie label uh, um, well, when I, when I wrote Who Killed Puck, um, at the, t- at the time there weren't, weren't really environmentally friendly record labels. And in college I was going to school for music theory and environmental science and I had really strong, um, environmental inclinations. And so who, when I did Who Killed Puck, I, uh, realized that, I would feel really uncomfortable releasing it in a way that went against my environmental ethics. And I couldn't find any labels that fit into that 
paradigm very well. And, uh, and I also, the album prior to that, The Shade Project, I did send out to indie labels. And um, there was interest from different indie labels, but uh, they wanted me to get a live band together. They said, if you, you know, you're never going to really make money doing this unless you have a live band. And at the time, I'd, I'd gone in and out of the live circuit and played with live bands and, and tried that, but I wasn't really interested in it anymore at that time just because I... I really like to write, but I don't necessarily like to get on stage in front of everybody all the time. <laughs> I mean, once the show is going, it's good, but there's a lot of, at that time, I, I was, there was a lot of nerve wracking feelings leading up to shows and I didn't deal with that stress very well. Um, so I preferred to just be in, in the studio and writing and I didn't want to sign to a label that was going to make me get on stage every night and make me feel that nervous all the time so um so yeah created earthology to to do something that allowed me to do the music in exactly the way i wanted to or if i wanted to just write lots of albums and put them out and not perform live a lot i can do that or if i wanted to make sure that the albums were made as the most environmentally friendly way even though it's more expensive i could do that and you know i could just they couldn't they couldn't take the songs and have put them in a commercial for a product i didn't agree with like i i could keep control of everything that i needed to keep control of that's really cool. And like with that that whole stage fright thing, uh, you know, how did you learn to conquer that stress before you get up on stage? You know, I've seen a few Krakow concerts, and it seems like you know there's really that cohesive energy, and you know you don't seem stressed at all. So have you learned? How have you learned to deal with that? Thanks, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I, I. I think it was it happened with the loss of our son we lost our two-year-old back in 2002 and prior to that uh i just had a lot more fears and you know i um uh yeah i just there, there were there were a lot more things i was afraid of and once you lose something massive like that and it shakes up your whole life and you suddenly recognize that uh you're still standing you know, basically an atom bomb just went off and um, the whole house is down and everything's ash all around you, but you're still standing there. You just, you realize you have nothing left to lose anymore and suddenly it got, suddenly getting on stage was like, you know, you guys could all throw tomatoes at me. I don't really care. <laughs> you can't take any more away from me. So, um, so yeah, it just kind of naturally went from there. And then, you know, after a while, uh, started to get feedback from fans about, um, how the music was positively affecting them. And then I started to feel like um, this is something good that I can do. And if I have if I have an opportunity to try and do something good with the short time of life that I have here, then I, I got to take the bull by the horns and do it. So that's why it keeps going right now. Um, so I was wondering, um, we, we expanded a little bit on earthology before and I was wondering if you what were your future plans with that like were you planning on maybe like signing other bands or did you want to keep that was that really just there for like cloud cult um or are you interested in kind of expanding that a little bit more um no yeah I I, I guess I've, I've never been super interested in the music business itself um creating the label is kind of out of necessity because you have to get if you want to make a living doing music, you got to get the music out there. But I don't like the music business enough to um, to make it a bigger part of my life. Even just doing the business for Cloud Cult is so 
takes so much time that I don't want to do it anymore um, than I have to. And the music business, unfortunately, is kind of uh, um, it's a really dirty business. There's a lot of really not good, good people. In the, there, there are a lot of really good people in the business, and there are a lot of not good people in the business. And I think that I don't know why it is. I think it's in the business of entertainment as a whole that there's just some really egotistical people and really selfish people and people that will take advantage of you and that don't really um, necessarily uh, um, uh, have higher interests in, in, in as their forefront intention. And so the least amount of music business that I can do um, – <laughs> the better <laughs> yes okay but at the so, same, I'm, I'm sorry but at the same time i have to do enough so that i continue cloud call but don't um give up the control of what we're doing as a as a business so where do you see cloud call headed in the future i mean you've definitely come you've definitely the band's definitely changed a little bit in the 15 years it's been around but where do you see it heading in the near future um, right now, we're on a temporary hiatus from doing live shows. Um, we just fi- finished some West Coast shows a few weeks ago, and uh, I've got a, a, I'm really fortunate that I get to do a lot of scoring work uh, uh, as a composer. So I've got a lot of work I'm doing for National Geographic right now, composing um, music for um, some of the, their documentaries and actually an Xbox um, educational video game that I'm <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a they've got this new kind of game that you can um, that you interact with it. You don't have any control or anything, and it's kind of uh, you become the character in it. And then they're they're trying to do it along with National Geographic, of where you become the animals in the game, and you learn how to um, live in these different habitats and stuff. And so so it's a way to teach people about. Um, ecological biodiversity and whatnot, but at the same time being a lot of fun. But anyway, I get to do the music for that, which is really kind of, kind of pretty exciting. But, um, and then I'm working on the album, the new album right now too. So, and we have a baby coming in January. Congratulations so, on that. We were at, uh, I said a concert where you announced that. It was yeah. really exciting. Yeah. So we're, we're taking some downtime from the live shows right now, but in the, um, after the baby's been here for a couple of months, we'll probably start up rehearsals again and, and uh, be doing some warm-up shows in the spring and then um, getting ready to release the new album by fall. We'll be doing some local shows probably in, in the summertime and then national touring in the fall. Awesome. So any ideas what you're playing on for that uh, that new album? Or do you want to keep it a secret? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, it's kind of, it, The is always kind of like... Evolve, evolve on their own, you know. It's sort, it's sort of like uh, that gestation period of where, um, you know, you see, always see like the how a baby develops in utero, and you don't really know whether it's a boy or girl or <laughs> how it's going to act or behave until um, it's been born. So it's it's gradually building building its cellular makeup, and uh, <laughs> I'll know its personality a little bit better in a few months. <laughs> okay, so um, um. You're like a really prominent local artist um, now. Um, a lot of people in Minnesota really love your music. So I was just wondering, how was like growing up in Minnesota and being um, Minnesotan influenced your career? 
I think it was really beneficial because, you know, they always say that if you want to be successful in any kind of entertainment business, you need to move to one of the coasts. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Minnesota is a really, people are overall raised to, to have a, um, uh, I don't know, a certain level of humility, I guess. And, um, and there's just so much more easy access to nature and those kinds of things really kind of fit me well. Um, uh, we, we do a lot of touring on the coast and, and it's really interesting cause we've got a pretty good fan base um, in the, in the Midwest and then the coasts are really where a, a big concentration of the rest of the fan bases and the rest of middle America, there's cities that we do well in, but we get out to the coast and that really is where our heavier following is. And so it's interesting to be raised in a place like Minnesota where you're, you're spending so much of the year, um, uh, in really quiet places, you know, the whole six months of the winter for me is, is a lot of being capped up and for a lot of Minnesotans it's the same way where you're just kind of resolved to the fact that you're going to do a lot of more intro- introspective work and then you get out to the coast and it's, and it's go, 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 you know, city, 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 city. And, um, uh, you know, bands like Low coming out of Minnesota and, and Bob Dylan, there's just, I think because of the forced int- introspection for six months of the winter, um, there's a lot of really good, beautiful, deep thought coming out of this area. So you kind of touched on this uh, a little bit earlier uh, with talking about how, you know, in college you just run off and go write a song. Um, can you maybe, like, uh, go more into detail about your songwriting process, just sort of, like, how that works? Yeah. Um, well, for the for scoring for film, it's one thing. You know, they'll send you scenes and, and kind of describe the genre that they want for, for it, and then you're just inspired by the scene. But for the cloud cult stuff, it's really... Um, um, there's a lot. It depends on inspiration a lot, uh, and i I feel I feel like the the best music is doesn't come forced. I mean, you have to you have to work at it, and you have to you know you're like I'm in the studio here a lot working on stuff, but you recognize those moments of where you're connecting with with that bigger thing, whatever whatever that whatever that is. There's just moments where suddenly you're a tool for something bigger and you recognize like, Oh, it's right now. It's happening right now. And there's other moments where you're, you're just kind of waiting for it. <laughs> there's a lot of time spent waiting and waiting and waiting for it. And especially in the lyric writing process. Um, once the music's actually all um, built up and in place and I, and I know the direction of the song and there's some basic lyric infrastructure, then there's just a lot of waiting and you, you spend a lot of your days and nights playing the music over and over. You just, it's constantly playing and you're waiting for the lines to fill in. And so it's just like, there'll be a song that's just on loop and it's constantly on loop for weeks. And, and like every few hours, all of a sudden, Oh, there's, there's a word. (laughs) And after a really long time, then all those words are there. And it's actually kind of annoying. (laughs) You have to have to wait for so long. You have to listen to the song for so long inside your head. But for me, yeah, for me that it really depends on inspiration. I don't want I don't I don't want to put any kind of music out there anymore that doesn't um doesn't do work of its own, like doesn't um doesn't have some kind of purpose and meaning of its own. But 
I don't want to put something together that's just like uh, superficially dressed and is going to go out and do a little dance and pretend like it's cool and not actually do any good out there. And so, so it takes a while for the flesh to get on the song. So what kind of advice would you have to give students who would be at Edina High School who want to explore music as a career? Um, the biggest thing, I think, is uh, authenticity. That when I was talking earlier about not liking playing live, a really big part of why I didn't like playing live early on was the, the kind of people that, a lot of the kind of people that were playing in bands it seemed like a lot of people were choosing to do it because it was cool. You know, like, I'm doing this because now, now you think I'm cool and maybe I can pick up a girl or something. You know, there's um, there's an authentic reason to be in music and um, you have to have a love and a passion for it and, and you have to... For me, I feel like music is a really sacred, sacred tool and... Um, uh, I guess I would advise that if you have intentions to use it for anything other than um, for the greater good, then I don't know, go into something else. <laughs> <laughs> also recognize that um, it's an incredibly competitive field, so you have to do it for the, the love of doing it. Um, most people don't actually end up making a living at it, and so, um, and even for me, for, you know, the better part of it over a decade of doing it, it was, it was, it was recognizing, okay, I'm going to the studio today because I, I need to write and I, and I love to write and I want to, I want to get some more music out and I'm probably not going to make any money out of this, but I need to do it. And so don't go into music because you think you're going to, um, uh, be one of the very, very few that's like, I don't know, making it on MTV and got Buco De Niro. <laughs> not to say that you can't. <laughs> it's the can, but um, you gotta do it for the love of it and for the respect of it. Wow, awesome! And um, so, like, what are you listening to right now? Just like maybe some bands that you're into, or so some influences you see, maybe see on Cloud Cult. Oh, that's a that's a hard one for me because I, um, I I'm in the studio right now. I'm in the studio sixty plus hours a week, and so it's all the creation mode right now. And when I get out of the studio, then, you know, I'm um, taking care of our, our son and hanging out with my wife. And and that time, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's a lot more casual. If there's music on, it's a lot more casual listening kind of stuff. And so um, I don't really get a chance to pursue any, any really new bands and really grind into any new albums. I don't really have time to ever sit down alone and just kind of listen to something like that. Um, what I pick up and am influenced on the most right now is like if we're watching a movie at night and I, I listen to the back, the, the soundtracks and stuff a ton because there's really amazing sound textures and amazing ideas that are coming out of these composers that nobody knows their names, you know, um, they're just writing the stuff in the background, but it really is a huge dimension to what's, how it's creating the feeling for everybody that's watching it. And, and, um, Cloud Cult's music is really, um, cinematic and so i guess i'm inspired really by cinematic kind of music wow uh thank thank, uh, thank you very much for sitting down with us craig and uh good luck with the baby and the new album thanks a lot thanks a lot for having me and good luck with everything there yeah thank thanks. you thank you
Once again, that was Craig Manoa, the lead singer of Cloud Cult. And now it's time for our review of Coldplay's latest, Milo Zyloto. Today we're going to review the album Milo Zyloto. It's Coldplay's fifth album, and it was released, um, I guess by now it'll be, yeah, October 24th. All right, um, so having had about a couple weeks to uh, reflect back on it, I think, you know, one thing you can definitely say about the album is that it exists. It's true. Um, it's about all I can say about that <laughs> album is that... I, I was actually listening to it last night, and um, at one point, I was like, wait a minute, did I put on a U2 album? <laughs> oh, I, and then I was like, no, this is still Coldplay. Well, you know, I, I was never, like, a big Coldplay fan in the first place, so... I was like, I was listening to it, and like, I hadn't listened to like their past stuff, but I was just like, I don't know, it just really sounded like, I mean, it just the whole album just kind of sounded the same, you know, like, like every song kind of sounded like every other song, and there were a few outliers like, um, like Paradise, like that didn't really sound like the rest of the album, and um, yeah, but then again, I don't like Paradise that much. It just sounds, it does not sound very Coldplay-ish, and sometimes that wouldn't be a bad thing. But I think they should probably stick to what they're good at in the first place. See, that's actually really funny because, like, being the not Coldplay fan, that's actually my favorite song on the album. It's Paradise. Yeah, my, my biggest my biggest problem with Coldplay is that they keep trying to be Coldplay. They keep trying to make another Coldplay album, and I, mean, I feel like this album was just another attempt at it. And I don't think it worked out that well. I've always really wanted to be a Coldplay fan, but every time I get really excited for the album releases, and that comes out, and it's like, oh well, it's just another Coldplay album. Um, this is what happened with me. Like, I heard I was listening to the current, you know, like back in September. And I heard Paradise for the first time, and I was like, "This is, this is really cool." And I had to like listen to make sure it was still Coldplay. I was like, "Was this actually Coldplay?" And then they're like, "Yeah, that was Coldplay with their new single." And I was like, "Wow, maybe I'll give this album like a shot," you know. And then I heard The Princess of China before the album came out, and I was like, "Oh, see, Princess yeah. of China." You know, I personally am actually a Rihanna fan, um, but I feel like that's not a really a Rihanna song. I think it's more like. Rihanna showed up and sang Chris Martin's vocal part because Chris Martin couldn't sing it that day for whatever reason. To me, honestly, Paradise sounds like a Rihanna song more than Princess of China. You know, yeah, I can, yeah, I can actually, I can, I can yeah, see no, that. Yeah, I, I can see that, yeah, I, My sure. personal favorite song in the album is actually Every Two, every two Drop is a Waterfall. I would see her with that. That I, actually sounds pretty good. I, that's actually my least favorite song on that album, besides <laughs> Princess of China's. See, I hated um, Hurts Like Heaven because I think it is one of the most poorly written songs ever. Like, the song... When I first heard it, I wasn't really paying attention to the lyrics, and I was like, wow, this song's pretty catchy, you know, I think it's pretty good. And then I went back and listened to the lyrics, and I was like, you know, your heart is a weapon, and it hurts like heaven. And then I was sort of thinking, like, okay, that doesn't mean anything, and you're just trying to rhyme things. Well, Chris Martin has never been a lyricist. Let's just agree on that. Well, he hasn't, but this is one of those moments where you think, wow, you're just been better off singing, like, one syllable this entire song. You probably would have said, it would have just been a much better realized song had you just done that. Well, um, see, and then here's my other issue, is that, like, I was, I was prepping myself for this last night, you know, I, I didn't really feel like listening to the whole album again, so I was just skipping through songs, scrubbing them, just so I could, you know, get a feel of what they were like again, and for, like, three songs in a row... The three songs after Paradise, I think, it, I think it's like Hurts Like Heaven and then Charlie Brown and yeah, yeah whatnot. Yeah. I played those three songs and I scrubbed them. And honestly, they could have been the same song. Like oh, when yeah. I was when I was scrubbing through them. They were in like the same key and everything. Like same yeah. high guitar part with like a little bit of synth in the background. I think there like, are some bands who can pull that off. Like Phoenix. I think every song on Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix was in the same key, same tempo. 
but it was a great album. I think Coldplay tried to do that, and they just couldn't pull it off. Well, yeah, I think I think my I think the most aptly named song on the album was a hopeful transition. Agreed. Uh, right yeah. there, because it's actually it's a really good song. It's about forty seconds long, and I was like, wow, maybe they're gonna turn this album around. The last couple songs are just gonna rock. And then it was right back to where they'd been before and just really, again, really just let me down. That's kind of some metaphor for my entire existence with Coldplay is that I get excited and then they just let me down. Well, it's actually hilarious because, um, again, like, never really listened to their stuff before this. And I put on the first song, Milo's Lodo, like the 40, the 40 second yeah. long. And I was like, I was I listening to it one. and I was like, I damn, this is going to be good. And then it led into the first song and I was like, oh, yeah. this isn't good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is and then I'm like, I've got 40 more minutes of this. It's a little bit sad that my favorite song on the entire album is the 40-second intro, but that's just yeah. how it works. Yeah, I thought this was actually, my reaction to this was a lot more like um, my reaction to No Line on the Horizon, the latest U2, uh, um, in that I listened to it three times before I remembered that I actually listened to it. It no. just sort of didn't make mm-hmm. any sort of real impression on me. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of how I felt with um, Come Around Sundown by yeah. Kings of Leon. Yeah. I, like, I got all excited for that album, and then I listened to it, and yeah. It just kind of didn't leave anything with me, and I haven't listened to it since. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Coldplay's had another album where they just sounded the same. That was X and Y, but that was redeemed by songs like Fix You, for example. This one just doesn't have a song that redeems it all the way. I think uh, Every Teardrop is a Waterfall gets close, but it doesn't, doesn't redeem the album. Um, I think if we're going to use the uh, Sound Opinions by Burn It Trash scale, it's <laughs> definitely a Burn It. There's like three songs in the album that I'd say are worth it, but... Not not worth the whole thing. Yeah, like I wouldn't I say would agree. I wouldn't say it's horrible. Like if I mean I would rather listen to this than like put a toothpick between my toenail and my toe and kick the wall. <laughs> but like I mean it's it's not horrible. It's just I mean I, and I get like a ton of people could like it, but it's just not the kind of thing that I would sit down to and really listen to and spend all that time to like enjoy. Should so like buy it, burn it, trash it. Um, trash it for sure. I don't. <laughs> I think we should be original, and I'm going to say, on a scale of 1 to 5, I would give it a 2.5, perfect 50%. Uh, it's like purgatory, <laughs> but with music. I can, I can see that. It's just sort of like... It makes sense. There. Yeah, yeah it totally is. It, it just exists. It's where you're doomed to wait until the next good U2 album comes out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, uh, that's it for our, uh, our review of Coldplay's latest, Milo Zyloto. And that's a wrap for the podcast you've never heard of. Thank you for listening to our inaugural episode, and be sure to check back at edinazephyrus.com in two weeks on Friday, November 18th for our second episode.